0: Celebrate the best thing ever before this year's out. We got one more Sunday today in uh 2023. And then we move on to the next year. And for generations to come, uh, those who follow us, they'll still be singing about the good news of Jesus. Amen. Because Jesus will just last forever. And the good 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 news about that is because we have been. Um, we shared in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. As long as Jesus is alive, we will be alive. Amen? And not just alive with our old life, but a new life. We're new creations in Christ. We are fully alive with the very life of Jesus. He literally is our life. And that's such good news. I've got a scripture I want to read before we sing this next song. It's one that I love. Um, And it's one that's ministered to me a lot over the past several years. It's from Colossians. It says this. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, when you were placed with him. And, And with him... You were raised to a brand new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. He is our life. You were dead because of your sins. We were spiritually dead. We were physically alive but spiritually dead. We were dead because of our sins and because of our sinful nature and because it had not been cut away yet. Then God made us, made you and me, those who have put our faith in Jesus, he made us fully alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and he destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authority. Amen. Death has lost its grip on me. Sin has lost its grip on me. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a slave to righteousness. And so are you, hallelujah, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's good news. We have victory. We have victory in Christ Jesus because of the cross, amen?
1: Let's celebrate that good news together.
2: Good news. Do I
3: Good morning, Fellowship. Hey, my name is Caleb Freeman. This is Emma Orlando, and I actually want to introduce her to you all. So she is new on staff with us. She's now overseeing our FSM Springdale Girls. Can you guys say hi to Emma this morning? <laughs> Emma, we're excited that you're on the team with us, but why don't we hear from you a little bit? What have you—you've been on the team how long now? Uh, three months. Three months. So in the last three months— What have you enjoyed about your job so far?
4: Yeah, I have really enjoyed just getting to know the students and leaders of FSM, getting coffee with some of those Springdale girls. I've also just loved being a part of the team and staff here at Fellowship.
3: Well, fun. We love having Emma on our team. If you live in Springdale, if you live anywhere, you need to get to know Emma, but if you live in Springdale in particular or have a female student, she's an incredible resource for you and your family. She's doing an amazing job, and we're so happy she's on the FSM team with us. And FSM, our student ministry actually has some things going on this winter. In fact, Chill Out, which you just saw the video of, is coming up here pretty soon. Is that right?
4: Yes, we have Chill Out. It's open to all 7th and 8th graders. Um, It's January 12th through 14th. It's a weekend at New Life Ranch. It's gonna be awesome, and you can sign up online.
3: Parents, I'd really encourage you, if you have a student, a seventh and eighth grader, to send them to chill out, or maybe you know somebody who has a seventh and eighth grade student. I have countless stories of people coming to know the, the Lord at this retreat, of their life being changed there, and then walking with Jesus afterwards. And so it's an incredible event for our junior high students. If finances are a problem for you or someone that you think that would be interested in going, just let us know. That's not going to deter them. So we want to make it possible for everybody. Just get them signed up. It's an amazing opportunity. Not only is Chill Out coming out, uh, coming up, we also have some other things, a lot of things going on around here at Fellowship. We have some classes that are taking place this winter.
4: Yes, we have some training classes. Um, at the training center this winter. We have several classes up here. I've taken a few of these and they are awesome. I really encourage you guys to look into them, even go with your community group and you can also check those out online.
3: Not only would I uh, encourage you to look into our training center, but we have a care and counseling center here at Fellowship. And I just want to make you aware of it. It's an unbelievable resource for you all. If you're in need of grief share, that'll start in February, but we also have general counseling there at our care center, and it's, a, it's an incredible resource. There are people there who want to talk with you, work with you, walk with you, and I'd really encourage you to check that out. We also have re-engage starting this semester, and so if you're needing a checkup for your marriage, maybe you and your group, your community group want to do it together, or you're in need of help, this is an incredible place to find just that. You can look online and get more details for what this looks like. We also have our Celebrate Recovery series starting. So after today, next week, and for the next three weeks, we'll be doing our Celebrate Recovery series. It's three weeks looking at life's hurts, habits, and hangups. It's an incredible opportunity for you and your community group maybe to go a little deeper to see some of these core issues or root problems that we have in our life and how the Lord wants to heal those within us and through his son so this morning emma would you pray for us before we begin yes
4: lord thank you for today thank you for this space lord i just pray as we um enter into some more worship and enter into teaching lord that you would remove distractions you would clear our minds and um engage our hearts we love you so much probably send your name
1: You make making... Who oh, I will see for the good
3: Thank you, Heath. Thank you, Ben. Hey, you can take a seat. Well, New Year, New Me, that's what everybody's saying right about now. Today is December 31st, which means a lot of you are going to wake up early tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and then that goal of waking up early, will be, it'll be done after about three or four days, because right now is the time that everybody wants to transform themselves. We all got New Year's resolutions on our mind. We're going to come up with these incredible goals, and they're going to change our life. They're going to change us in the next year. But what I've noticed is that when it comes to these New Year resolution, New Year's resolutions, sometimes they don't always work out how we hoped they would. It just doesn't go according to plan necessarily. You know, we'll say things like, oh, this is the year. This is the year that I'm going to get in shape. And so what do we do? We go and buy new shoes. We go and buy athleisure so you can wear it at the gym and at home. You're looking great. You go and you get that gym membership. You set it up. But the problem is you pay for that membership every single month. You just don't show up to the gym ever. The goal doesn't work out. You don't get in shape. I mean, I remember a few years ago thinking to myself, this is the year for me. I am going to find love I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to go on some dates. I'm going to be confident. And by the end of the year, the wedding bells will be ringing. And I could picture it in my mind, bells ringing, the flowers set up, the church steeple standing tall. The, The problem with that is my generation has rejected getting married in churches. We prefer barns, so let's change the picture. I can picture the barn right now. It's hot, it's humid, and really expensive. Everything's right. We're gonna have a reception afterwards. It'll be outside, when? In August, where? In, in Arkansas, why? Because it makes sense. So that's where this wedding will be. That's my goal, I'm finally going to get married. But what's the problem? I was still wearing cargo shorts. I didn't need all those pockets. It was under the guise of utility, but nobody ever told me that was in direct contradiction to me achieving my goal of marriage. That's a PSA, all right? Just let it be known. If you're out there, luckily it's January or almost January, so nobody has shorts on, but cargo shorts are out, okay? Get them off. It's not helping you. Maybe you're like me too. You got another going. you're like, hey, I want to lower my cholesterol a little bit. All right, but the clam chowder at Golden Corral is just a tractor beam pulling you in. It's just—it's hard. Things get in the way of us achieving our goals. We've all—it's similar to the memes that you can see, you know, that talk about expectations versus reality. That the expectations that we have are really grand. The way it actually works out, not so much. And that's what happens with our goals. We say things like, "I'm going to change the way that I look." man, I'm gonna, go, I'm, I'm gonna go get this new Bob haircut. It's gonna be so cute. So you go bebopping into the salon. Little do you know that she's the newest stylist there, so you come strutting out looking like the Quaker Oats man. It doesn't work. Maybe better, yeah, you look like the guy from the berries and cream commercial, right? The expectations that we have are so lofty, the reality of it doesn't always work out when it comes to our New Year's resolutions. Now, I know I'm up here and I'm teasing all of us, But I actually like goals. I think New Year's resolutions are a good thing. I think it's really healthy to try and make goals, to try and achieve things, reach for for, for new habits. But one other thing that I've noticed is that a lot of times when it comes to our goals for the year, they're incomplete. We usually make these goals centered around maybe physical health, financial well-being, or, or trying to get rid of a few bad habits. That's where most of our goals lie, physical health, financial well-being. or getting rid of a few bad habits and we can neglect our character. We can neglect the way that we treat one another, the way that we interact with the body, which is actually what God's word, what we call the Bible, what we believe is God speaking to us has a whole lot to say about. In fact, look at what Colossians 3 says. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive them. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds all of these. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, Colossians 3 has a lot to say about our character, about who we are and how we walk in this thing called community. I think if we were to summarize what this part of Colossians is talking about, it, saying that those redeemed by Christ live by Christ. That those of us who have accepted the salvific work of Jesus on our behalf, we're gonna begin to live like that savior. If you've experienced the redemptive renewal of Jesus in your life, then you're gonna begin to live like Jesus. Which then would have something to say about our New Year's resolutions, wouldn't it? That would mean those of us who are sitting in this room right now who actually have experienced that renewal, those of us who have accepted the justifying work of Jesus from the cross, we would begin to orient our lives in such a way that we look more and more like Jesus each and every day. We would set goals that enable us to walk with our Savior so that he can handcraft us more into the image and likeness of his Son each and every day. You see, new year, new me has to include our character. And I think Colossians actually tells us exactly how to do that. That's where we're gonna spend our time this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Colossians 3 because I wanna look at it. It says, put on then. And it's important for us to understand what does it mean to put on? This is the imperative verb in this section, the command that Paul is making. So it makes sense that we understand what he's talking about. And I'll tell you what he's not talking about really quick. Paul is not saying that we should transform ourselves. When it says put on, it's not talking about changing your identity. It's not talking about giving yourself a new being because that's actually what God does for us. And Paul believes that. He writes that in Colossians. Previously, in chapter two, he said that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, in Colossians chapter two, Paul says that we were dead in our sins, and it's God who made us alive with Christ. We went from death to life. In chapter three, before the verses that we're looking at today, it says, don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off this old self, with its practices, you've put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. There was an old self that used to exist. There's this new self after being made alive with Christ and it's got new practices. This is what Second Corinthians is talking about when it says that if anyone is, is forgiven, if anyone is in Christ, that old creation is gone. Behold, there is a new creation We're made new in Christ. There was an old one, there's a new one. This is what Galatians is talking about when it says it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. You see, there was an old self. There's a new self. There's an old creation. There's a new creation that God has made within us. It's a new identity. It's an identity shift from the past to the present. And that's the gospel that we believe in. Remember, the gospel is not about God making bad people good. The gospel is about God making dead people alive. And that's what Colossians says, that we were dead in our flesh, we were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive with Christ. That's our identity now. You're no longer known by your mistakes, but you're known by the beauty of Jesus. You're no longer known by your sinfulness, but by the righteousness of Christ. You're no longer a sinner. Yes, we're still sinful, but your identity is not as a sinner. It's as a saint who's walking with the Lord. So when it says, put on then, it's not talking about changing our identity. It's not talking about transforming ourselves. Here in Colossians, when it says, put on then, it's talking about after being transformed by Jesus put on the practices and the virtues that are similar to Jesus. You see, there's someone in my wife and I's community group, her name's Haley Reimer, and she's the, she's the person in the group who every once in a while will just throw out a grenade of truth. And it just goes off in the living room and everybody's kind of going, okay, yeah, that was really good. And I remember one time she was sitting there and she said, she was talking about her prayer request. She said, I, I'm just hoping that I can continue to cooperate with God's sanctification in my life. And I loved that. It's such a sweet prayer. It's such an insightful prayer. But that's what she was asking, that she would cooperate with God as he sanctifies her. That's exactly what put on then is saying. When it says put on then, it's talking about cooperating with God after he has saved you to begin to transform you. And the way that we put on or cooperate with the sanctification process is by putting on the virtues that are similar to that of Jesus. Putting on compassion and kindness, humility and meekness. That's what we're called to do. Now what's interesting is the list that comes before those list of virtues. That small list that we can overlook. And it's a list that talks about what motivates us to putting on the likeness of Jesus. It says put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. If you're in the back, can we go to that slide or is our, are our slides out now? Okay, we're out for a little bit. So if you don't have a Bible, you need to grab one. Who has a phone? We're gonna do this. If you've got a phone, open up to Colossians 3. I'm gonna grab a Bible really quick and we're just gonna manually do this. You ready? All right. All right. I didn't find a Bible, but I found an iPad. And you can look it up on those things. So sometimes, oh, are we back? Here we go. So what happens is this, this list of virtues is what we're trying to put on. And we actually have motivation for why we wanna put those on. And the scriptures tell us what that motivation is. It's what God gives us. It's what he identifies us as, as his holy ones, chosen and beloved. And I think sometimes we can overlook that list for the bigger list of virtues, the things that we can do, and we can forget just how amazing this one is, that we are gods, that you're gods, that you're no one else's, that he created you, that he made you, that he desired you, and he knew what it would take in order to be in relationship with you before you were even made, but he made you, you are his. There's nothing that can pluck you out of his hand. Nothing that can strip you from him. Romans 8 says there's nothing that could separate us from the love of our God. Not only are we gods, but we're chosen. That he wants you, that he desires you, that he picked you. From the beginning of time, he knew you, wanted to be in relationship with you, sees you, cares for you. He actually likes you. So much so that he's made you holy. You're not bound by your sinfulness. You're not bound to your mistakes, but you have the righteousness of Jesus that defines you. And not only are you holy, but you're loved. You're cared for. You're seen. You're known. You're wanted. You're chased after. You're pursued. You see, there's nothing that we could do that would earn this list of identifiers about us, there's nothing that we could do that would make this list true of us. I can't do anything to make God choose me. I can't do anything to make myself holy before a blameless God. I can't do anything to make God love me. But there is one thing that Jesus did that made all of these true about me. And it's in light of that truth, it's in light of what Jesus did for us, it's in light of this new identity that we have that we're God's and chosen and holy and beloved that we then put on this list of virtues. And so that's what I want us to look at today. I want us to look at what each one of these virtues are, what they mean. And I want us to explore where we see them in God because I believe they're a list of Christ-like virtues. I want us to see where they show up in the life of our Savior, and then maybe look at what it would take for us to make this a part of our 2024. So the first is this, put on, it says compassionate hearts. Put on compassion. And compassion would be this mix. It's kind of a, it's a two-sided idea. It's an awareness of others and maybe specifically others in their pain, in their hurt, in their hardship. It's seeing someone where they're at and not only being aware of them but also having a desire to help them, a desire to step into that moment of life with that person. Compassion is empathy and helpfulness mixed together. And we see that in Jesus. In the very fact that he came to this world in the incarnation, which we remembered at Christmas. God knew our sinfulness. He knew that we were separated from him. He was aware of the problem that we were in, but he wasn't just aware, he was also willing to help. He was capable of helping. And what did he do? He entered into this world for us. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death we deserved, and he rose to new life that we might as well. And this is what God has been doing for all time. Look at the Garden of Eden narrative. Adam and Eve sin, and what does God do? He sees their problem, and he actually helps them. He clothes them. He engages with them. I mean, read the story of of Hagar. It's a messy story filled with sinfulness and disobedience and hurt, but Hagar is sent out. God sees her in, his, in her distress, and what does he do? He tends to her. He compassionately cares for her. Look at the Hebrews in, in Egypt. They cry out for help, and what does God do? He helps them. Look at your own life, and that's the scary thing to do because when you begin to look at your own life, you're probably not gonna find a life free of pain. But I think if you look close enough, you'll find a life filled with the presence of God and that's compassion. That in your pain, God is there with you. We're to put on compassionate hearts and kindness. Kindness is this generosity, this goodness towards others. It's, it's being considerate of those around you and, and with you. And, and probably especially those that are hard to be around or with. It's being kind and considerate, gracious towards those you don't even like. And I'm sure there's a lot of kindness tanks that are empty in this room right now after the holidays. A bunch of us have been around aunts, if that's what we call them, or cousins, if that's what you call them, and you're like, I have no idea who you are. And we've been trying to be kind and courteous, considerate. It can be taxing. But that's who our God is. That he's a God that is kind to us, independent of how we respond to him, that he's good and generous to us, independent of our actions, and we see this in Jesus. Look at the story of the woman at the well, that Jesus is willing to break all the social norms, that he's willing to engage and help this woman, talk to her, see her, be there with her, help her physical and spiritual needs. Jesus demonstrates the kindness of a loving father, and we're called to do the same. After kindness, we're called into humility. And we just, we just went through Philippians in our last series, and, and we talked about humility. In chapter two, in this kenosis hymn, I think it gives us the understanding that humility is not about what we do not do. It's not just about abstaining from things. Humility is about engaging with others. Jesus demonstrated this because he didn't consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but honestly to our advantage. Humility is about using everything that we have for the benefit of others. It's about using my time, my talent, my treasure, my personality, my giftings to aid and help those around me. I think humility involves submission to authority. I think it involves, if you are the authority, being gentle with those who report to you. And we see humility in Jesus, in his life, that he used his very divinity to live the way that we were called to. In his death, that he used his divinity, the one that he was the only one that could be the rightful sacrifice. He used that, his death, for our benefit. And his resurrection, he conquered his grave so that he could conquer our graves as well. We're called into humility and into meekness now, meekness is, a, I think, a little bit of a lost art in our world today. Meekness can be seen as weakness today, but I think the opposite is true. You see, meekness is not overstating, overusing one's position or power. It's, it's, meekness is seen in leading through influence rather than authority. Meekness speaks of diffusing situations rather than exploding them. And is there a more meek idea than the Savior of the universe being born in a manger? Talk about not overstating your position. Jesus could have been born in any palace. Just him being born as a human is ridiculous, let alone in a manger. Look at his conversation with Pilate. You want to talk about not overusing your position of authority. We serve a meek God. And that is a beautiful thing. Not only are we called into meekness in our relationships, but patience. Patience is the calm waiting. It's sitting with someone. It's being with them, maybe as they hurt, maybe as they grow, maybe as they change, maybe as they learn, but there's this, I think this peace, this stillness that's included in this patience, that we would peacefully wait with those around us as they endure and walk through whatever it is that they're walking through. And is that not the story of God walking with us? Is that not the story of the Holy Spirit patiently sanctifying me? That he doesn't get impatient with me? That it would take as long as it does for me to learn the things that he's trying to teach me? That he doesn't get fed up and walk away when I don't understand what he's trying to communicate to me? God has graciously and patiently walked with me time and time again throughout my whole life. That's who he is, is a patient God. And after talking about patience, it says bearing with one another. And I'm going to call this endurance, okay, because it's talking simply, I think, about relational endurance, putting up with each other, walking with someone, committing to someone, staying with them, not forgetting about them or, for, or, 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 or giving up on them, even when it's hard or when they're hard. That's this idea of relational endurance, And if if you're trying to picture an idea of where this has shown up in our God, look at Jesus' relationship with the disciples. Even better, look at his look at his relationship with Peter. Peter doubts, and what does Jesus do? He lifts him up. Peter denies Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He reinstates him. Time and time again, Peter is difficult. There's strife in that relationship, but time and time again, what does Jesus do? He endures, he continues. He stays committed to his relationship with him. After talking about endurance, it goes on and says, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiveness. And I think this is one of the more difficult ones. Because forgiveness is to graciously, it's to, freely pardon someone. Not just to forget or act like it never happened, but to forgive the very fact that it did happen. And that's hard. I don't stand up here just going, well, it says forgive, so I'm gonna act like it's really easy, just do it. No, I understand the difficulty of forgiving. I know what it's like to have to wake up each morning and choose forgiveness that day. But that's the virtue of Christ and that's what we're called to put on. And I think forgiveness is so important and you see the importance of it here in the scripture because it even is given an explanation. It says, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You see, Jesus has completely forgiven us. That's, we, we, we see forgiveness in the life of our God and the very God that we serve, that he's willing to cancel our debts. But Paul finds this so important that he's, He's willing to explain why it's there. And he says, we have to forgive just as Jesus forgave us. And I think sometimes we can read that and we assume, or or maybe we read a bad tone into it. We think it feels a little authoritarian or, or a little legalistic. Well, so I have to forgive because Jesus forgave me? Like I owe this to him? And where it is true that we do owe our everything to God he doesn't call us into forgiveness out of legalism. No, it's a, it's a little different. What, what, what Paul is saying here is there's a new you. And because there's a new you, you shouldn't go back to the old way of unforgiveness. The, the analogy that I would give would be that of a, a caterpillar and a butterfly. All right, go with me here for a second. It'll make sense. But a caterpillar starts out on the ground. All it does is eat leaves and it walks around slowly. Eventually, it goes into its cocoon. And what does it become? That's right. It becomes a butterfly. It's got beautiful wings. It can fly. It's not bound to the ground. This old self is put on. A new self is, it has come into, into play. There's this old creation that's gone. A new creation has come. It would be ridiculous for us to think that a butterfly should get in a cocoon and become a caterpillar. That's not how it works. We go caterpillar to butterfly, not butterfly to caterpillar. And so when the scriptures are talking about just as Jesus forgave you, so you also must forgive, what it's saying is just like a butterfly is a new creation, it shouldn't go back to its old way. We're a new creation. You were dead. Now you've been made alive. It's ridiculous to think of somebody who's accepted the forgiveness of Jesus to live a life of unforgiveness. That would be like us trying to crawl back into our tomb. We've been made alive by forgiveness, so of course we're gonna live out that forgiveness. And it's for that reason that he says, just as Jesus has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Because you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is the new self that we're living in. And after it talks about forgiveness, it says, so you also must forgive and above all these, put on love. And love is that warm regard, that esteem, that concern, it's that commitment, it's that care, that consideration for one another. And we see this in our God because it's not just what he does, it's who he is. That everything that he does and is, is out of love. That he's the the generator of all love, that he loves us from the beginning of time, he's loved you, he's cared for you that he's seen you and known you and wants to walk with you, that he likes you, loves you, cares for you. This is who our God is. But I believe love, just like forgiveness, it's important, it's given an explanation, but love becomes so important to understanding all of these virtues. It, it, after it says put on love, it says love is which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is what makes all of this possible. And what I want us to see is what does it mean when it says it binds it all together? And I think it means two things. One, it means that love is the motivation for all of these. You see, if you were to take love away from any one of these virtues, these virtues would become something completely different, entirely different. If you take love as the motivation away from any one of these, they change, they get twisted, they corrupt. What I mean is this, if If you have compassion, remember, compassion is an awareness of others, and it's a desire to help. But it isn't love that's guiding you into that. It's no longer compassion. It's just a hope to gain that I would see someone hurting and go be helpful. But it isn't out of love and respect for them. It's actually just out of, well, I gave them something, so hopefully they'll give me something. Compassion without love is just a business transaction. Same is true of kindness. When you remove love as the motivation of your generosity and goodness towards someone, it's just legalism. You're just doing it because that's what you grew up hearing good manners were. When you take love away from humility, remember humility is using all that we are for the benefit of someone else. That just becomes self-promotion. I'm humbly using my gifts to help somebody so that they'll notice me, so other people will see me. Humility without love becomes pride. Meekness becomes apathy. Patience without love is lethargy. It's laziness. Relational endurance is just used as a means to end debt. I've walked with you all these years. You owe it to me. It's not love that led me into walking with them. It's just a hope to get something in return. Forgiveness, if it isn't love that guides me into that, I'm just forgetting it. I'm acting like it didn't happen. You see, love is the very motivation for each one of these virtues to be possible. Without love, none of these even exist. But not only does it say they don't exist, it says it's what binds them together because love is required for each one of these virtues. If you wanna be humble, you have to have love. If you wanna be meek, you have to have the love of Jesus. If you wanna be kind, you have to have the love of Jesus. Jesus. But because they all play off of love, they also play off one another. Kindness, I believe, is an expression of humility. If you want to be humble, then show it through meekness. To be meek requires that we're patient. Patience is seen through relational endurance. Endurance, if you're going to relationally endure with someone, you better be willing to forgive. Forgiveness is an act of compassion. Compassion is displayed through your kindness. They're all bound together, they all work together. You can't have one without the other and you have none without love. Put on the love of Jesus because it's what binds all of these together. It's what makes them possible. It's the love of the resurrected king that enables you to love others. That's why Colossians 3 says put it on. Put on, not in order to earn something, But in light of the fact that God earned you something, in light of the fact that you are gods, that you are chosen, that you're holy and beloved, put on compassion and kindness. Put on humility and meekness, patience. Endure with one another. Forgive because you're a new creation. Don't go back to that old way of living. Experience the best life, which is the life of walking like Jesus and above all else, put on love, the love of Christ, because that's the love that makes all of this possible. You see, I think this is saying that those redeemed live like the Redeemer. For those of us who have accepted the fact that Jesus saved us and now we're choosing to walk with him, not just as our Savior, but also as the Lord of our life, then we begin to live like him. Which again would mean that those of us who are making New Year's goals this year, what would it look like if your goal was to be more like Jesus? Specifically in this way, the way that you interact with each other, with your family, with your friends, with the local body, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your employees, with your employers, on the internet, in person. What if we were actually trying to live out this year actively? It was a goal of ours to live like the Redeemer. What would that look like? I actually think... To strategize it a little bit, it could look something like this. That you could decide, man, I'm gonna put on compassion. And you get to decide who that's toward. I'm gonna put on compassion towards my spouse. And how am I gonna do that? I'm gonna listen to him or her. Maybe it's this idea of love. How am I gonna put on love? Towards who? My roommates. And how am I going to do that? You get to fill that in. It could look like this. Fill it in with whoever it is that you want to be patient, man, then you're going to the Lord in prayer each and every morning, asking for the Holy Spirit, because He transforms, not us, to begin to transform us. That we would be patient with our neighbors, simply taking time to talk, knowing that they're lonely. What would it look like if this was our goal? to list out the virtues of Christ, to put them on and enact them towards the people we saw and the people that we see. You see, if you want this graph, it's actually here. You can have it. There's a little mobile form. You can scan it. Cool QR codes. Welcome to the 21st century. There's there's a, a place where you can print it off and you can write it as a family. Kids, I know you're in here today. Maybe this is fun for you to get to do with your parents. Who are the people at your school that you need to be patient with? Who are the friends that you need to be kind to? Who is a family do you need to express love to? And how are you gonna do that? Because those redeemed by Christ live like Christ. And may that be true of us here at Fellowship. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you've made us yours, that you've chosen us, that you give us your holiness and that you love us. In light of all of that truth, Lord, in light of the new identity that you give us, would you make us more and more like you? We pray these things in your name, amen.
1: Mercy spoke for me. Mercy spoke for me. It was on Galgath Street. Death brought liberty. His death brought liberty. Oh his death brought liberty.
0: New creatures at our core, rebuilt, redesigned, re- re-engineered for good works, amen. So let's go out and wear what fits. Uh, we have prayer, a prayer room over here. If you look to my left, to your right, you, have, you see the arrow with the prayer room. There's a couple down the hall. They'd love to pray with you. Um, if not, be safe as you go and have a very, very safe uh, New Year. We'll see you next year.